Welcome to Seizure Salad, Fuster Cluck Epilepticus. A salty, slightly cynical conversation about epilepsy, neurological disorders, and occasional random tangents. Together, we explore the synaptic jolts that short-circuit one's world and the mental and emotional fallout that comes from them. And if that sounds heavy, don't worry, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And now, Seizure Salad with your host and electrostatic meat sack, Micah B-Side. All right, rolling tape. How you folks doing out there? I'm Micah B-Side, your host electrostatic meat sack and I'm with Maria Mays. Maria is a well-being coach and a teacher who helps her clients find the freedom that only inner peace can offer. I love that. So this is this is going to be a fun day. You are the founder of Take 5 Stretch and Breath Breaks. Uh, you also have a very interesting that I'd like to maybe touch on, uh, wine and well-being workshops that... Um, for me, it would be beer. I love my IPAs, <laughs> love the barley pop, but it's the same thing. How do you how do you separate yourself from from kind of the habitual, you know, this is my routine thing to really being able to enjoy it? And that that I think comes to presence. Uh, that's not only applied to with alcohol or you know, for some of us, cannabis or or what have you. It it also goes with food, lifestyle, exercise, mindfulness, things like that. And these are kind of the nuts and bolts. I see you nodding right now and you're like, yeah, this is my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maria, it was great talking with you when we when we met uh, a couple weeks ago. That was fantastic. You are a RYT 200 yoga teacher with specialty training in mental health, neuroscience, and this is really interesting, applied polyvagal theory. Um, and that, that has to do with the vagus nerve, right? Yes. I, I think a lot of uh, my listeners who are familiar with epilepsy know what the vagus nerve is. So um, how did you get into all this? This is, this is really, this is really intriguing. And <laughs> I, I, I know that you have a little bit of personal experience with this kind of thing. A lot of people with epilepsy and other neurological conditions go through their life with things like misdiagnoses or improper treatment and then the horrible uh, side effects that come with those, those neurological drugs and inhibitors and things like that. Um, so you have personal firsthand experience with this. You see this on both sides from the coach and teacher and from, um, let's just say the patient. Absolutely. <laughs> right on. How you doing, Maria? Look. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm really grateful to be here. I'm grateful that for this opportunity to just connect again with you and also to um, share some of this conversation with your listeners. So thank you for your listeners' time and space and their day for us to have this convo with them. Thank you. And I'm grateful for you, most definitely. Um, where would you like to start? Let's give a brief history of how you how you really fell into this. Sure. What you learned, what you discovered. Okay. Yeah. Even. So it definitely still discovering each day, right? It's this, it's this right. unfolding process. And for me, stepping into this more holistic and um, consciousness-based approach to healing myself started in my early 30s. And so I would say um, it wasn't until my early 40s, though, that I stepped in two feet fully and really made the transition to 
living a more conscious based lifestyle versus kind of an unconscious autopilot one. And so yeah. um, I started when I was about two years old having um, episodes that were diagnosed at the time as grand mal seizures. And my mom was just, you know, devastated by it and thought she was losing her mind at first because people weren't believing her as she described what she would see happen. And mm -hmm. then uh, one occurred in a doctor's office and the doctor witnessed it and that changed everything. And so um, from that point on, without going into the long, long, long <laughs> details of that, that story, I was on and off um, a variety. Oh, shit. I accidentally muted you. <laughs> Can you unmute you? Can you do that? Because oh, there me? you go. Okay. I'm going to let my dog in too, if you don't mind, because she's scratching at the door like crazy. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Oh, the technical fun. Yeah. I was trying to, I was trying to mute myself because oh. I was going to sneeze and then I accidentally <laughs> muted you. No worries. And, yeah. Do you know where I left off or do you know where I was? 30s, you started, started the transition and then it was your 40s where you really dove in. Okay. With both feet. With right? I dove in, yeah. And then yeah. I, um, and so what I was looking for at the time was to create a, um, a way to naturally heal anxiety. Because at the time I was working with Dr. Wolf at Wolf Epilepsy Center and he said, you know what? It's the anxiety that's triggering the seizures. And so I don't know if this part caught it or not, but I'll just back up at the age of two. Um, I started having these uh, these episodes where I would lose consciousness. I would, um, you know, sometimes uh, get really rigid, let out a scream, then, you know, relax. And I would sometimes, you know, lose my bladder. Um, and so I started mm -hmm. having these episodes at the age of two. And my mom was just, um, you know, just a wreck about it and couldn't really get any um you know, validation, should I say, from the doctors at the time when she would bring me in because, you know, all the testing looked fine. And they said, you know, it's, you know, fine, don't worry about it. Well, then I had an episode in front of a doctor in a doctor's office. And at that point, everything changed where it was, you know, she's having a grand mal seizure. And um, that began then my journey into the meds. <laughs> so yes. on and off, um, uh, anticonvulsant seizure meds, a variety of different, you know, that's where I found out I had allergies to some, you know, and, and just, um, hold on, I'm just gonna let my dog out again. Sorry. No. Okay. So that's when, um, I started down the path of just, you know, walking through life in a very fear-based way of living because yeah. I never knew when the next time would hit where it hit the floor. I didn't know if it was going to be on the playground in front of, sorry, let's the dog out here. Sorry, pet problems, pet problems. Um, hey, the so, dog's active. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, it did create a huge level of anxiety, though I didn't realize that's what it was at the time. But, you know, you just right. don't know when it's going to happen again. Is it going to be in front of friends? Is it going to be, you know, when I'm, remember one I had was on the top of a, um, a slide at school, you know? Oh, man. And so it was like I started to get the aura then or presyncope and down the slide I went. And then, you know, 
the the resulting you know episodes. So to just kind of jump now back into my 30s, you know, I'd been on and off meds throughout my life um, and had been working with this doctor and had gone through a pretty, I was going through a pretty heavy time in my life too, in terms of going through multiple deaths in the family and just a deep loss, lots of stress, was traveling all over the US, had two small kids under the age of five. So I was just spinning all the plates, right? And we know stress right. is of course a huge uh, trigger um, for many folks that struggle with neurological or nervous system dysfunction. And so I, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So we can't take the stress away though, out of the world. We can take, we can change how we respond to it, right? We can empower ourselves right. in terms of our response to it. And that's what I focus on now. So, um, I started to look at ways to manage my anxiety naturally. Cause I was just getting tired of the side effects of the meds. Uh, and I, um, found a breathing exercise by Dr. Andrew wheel. Well, he's the one who made it mainstream, which is a four, seven, eight breath. And that was the first, um, thing that I ever did that was, you know, kind of tapping into this other way of managing, um, at the time, what I thought was anxiety that would lead up to then the seizure thinking, okay, if I can get this in check to where when I get that extreme sensation of what we thought was anxiety, then I can prevent myself from seizing. So I started to do this in my early 30s and um, it worked really well. And so then as I became more curious of different other modalities, I, that was like, that was like the little, you know, there's always something that like, it was like the match, right? I lit right. that match and saw the benefit in it. So then I was like, oh, let me continue, continue, continue. And so from that point on, I, I weaned myself off medication. I became a registered yoga instructor and um, was still working, you know, full-time busy uh, software career. Um, so this was all kind of a side focus just to learn more and to self-heal. And then I kept getting a pull to, you know, really share this with others. So then I started teaching yoga to others. And then from there on, uh, path led me to more studies, uh, diving into Ayurveda, which is a holistic way of looking at life. And so it's a consciousness-based approach to health that's based on really tapping into the healing powers of nature and tapping into really understanding ourselves better and what um, might work for one may not work for another because we all have a different combination of the five elements. And so that's kind of the basis of Ayurveda. So I, I did a lot of studies there and became a meditation teacher, an Ayurveda teacher, a well-being coach, a breath coach, and just on and on and on. And so, um, but I'm a hard, I would say I'm a, a hard learner in that I was only dipping a toe in, you know, teaching a little here, teaching a little there. And uh -huh. then in 2020, as a result of um, the company I was working for was out of country. And so they decided to pull out of the U.S. And so I had to lay off the team that was working for me. And then I was laid off. And this wasn't, you know, my first round with a startup that started to, you know, pull the cord. But it was different in that I was in a different space in my life. And yeah, I had... Yeah developed such a consistent meditation practice and yoga practice and breath work practice that when it happened, I just kind of floated through it. And as everybody else was falling apart with the fears of the pandemic, I was staying really, you know, kind of even field keel, just floating. And so people would ask me, what is going on? How are you managing this so well? And I thought, well, 
it's all my practices. It's, it's what I, you know, it's my daily practices. And so that's when I decided, okay, it's time to transition into doing this and really um, stepping into my Dharma to help others take their power back from anxiety. And um, so during that process, um, coming back to the seizure correlation, uh, I had been over on a work trip to New Zealand. And after coming back, I started to get just a lot more symptoms and the just more frequent and triggers that were not normal for me. And so um, we mm. did another round of, you know, after going several years with just managing it completely with my breath and not, you know, I'd have a lot of what I would refer to now as pre-syncope or auras, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. not actually lose consciousness and convulse. And so I had it under control. I was like, yeah, I got this thing figured out. And then, you know, in 2018, you know, shit hit the fan basically. And <laughs> um, it came on me pretty hard. So as as a result of working with a new neurologist um, who didn't have a lot of my medical record history due to my prior no- neurologist going, um, having their own issues and going out of business and not being able to provide medical records, he was working kind of blind. And so it was like, okay, I had to have everyone around me write down what they witnessed during my episodes. And, you know, because of course I didn't remember it. Um, I remembered how I felt before. So he had me do a test called a tilt table test, which is something that they, um, they basically put you on a board and you're laying flat and you're strapped up and you've got um, EKG leads on and, um, you know, you're being monitored. Um, with all the all the all the technology and they take you up to about a 45 degree angle for a few minutes and then lower you back down and the the test is anywhere from a half an hour to an hour um well in my case within about five minutes of uh the test where i was you know tilted at about a 45 degree angle i said oh my goodness i'm gonna have a seizure and right after i told them that the next thing you know you know i've got nurses saying, okay, you're with us again. You're all right. And here I had, um, I had flatlined for 40 seconds. And so they did CPR and put in this ROSC something in the IV to get, you know, to bring me back. And so that was a very definitive moment uh, for me because it, that was what the doctor suspected, um, was that my, episodes were not a result of a neurons misfiring because I'd done multiple ambulatory EEGs at this point with him, as well as, you know, a bunch of other tests. And the only thing they would catch was some cardiac abnormality where I would go into tachycardia and then bradycardia. So he suspected it's not, you know, the neurons. And so, um, yeah, this was a definitive test that absolutely I have a, um, a nervous system dysfunction. So, which is very similar to in terms of its um, representation or symptoms, basically, as um, as seizures in this case. Not all people have as dramatic as a variation as I do. So there's mine is referred to as extreme neurocartogenic syncope. Another term that used to be used is vasovagosyncope, um, which is you know uh, if you hear someone fainting at the sight of blood or getting their their blood drawn, very common, right? Um, It's a variation of that, just more extreme. And so make a long story short, uh, what happens is I do still seize and convulse, but it's a result of the oxygen, the heart stopping and the oxygen not getting to the brain. So, um, so yeah, so that then took me on a whole nother journey in terms of, okay, 
I'd been managing this through breath work and these different um, holistic methods. And so the interesting thing is, you know, anxiety um, is highly correlated with the vagus nerve, right? And uh-huh. this is basically a dysfunction in the vagus nerve. And so, um, so no wonder that I was able to manage it what I thought was anxiety was managing my anxiety, which I do have as well, which I had a a diagnosis of general anxiety disorder as well. But um, this nervous system dysfunction is also paralleled with that uh, vagus nerve because basically your, your vagus nerve, and maybe we should talk a little bit about that for your listeners to go into. Almost definitely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, if we look at the vagus nerve, it's our 10th cranial nerve, right? So it, it comes to from the base of the skull and then it, it goes and it wanders. So it's Latin for wander, vagus trans is the, um, the meaning behind that, right? So it wanders throughout the body and it's, it's, it's 80% are afferent, meaning that the nerve fibers are sending information from the body to the brain. Only 20% are brain to body, right? So if we think about this thing, um, around our diaphragm, which controls our breathing, our bladder, our digestive organs. So that whole brain gut connection is so key, right? So it's all related. And so I really kind of dove into then training on that. And once I found out about this, you know, things like this polyvagal theory and and learn more about the vagus nerve, I was like, oh my goodness, now I get what's going on in my body. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like the curious cat that just keeps on learning and scratching and scratching and finding more. So, yeah. So, so the vagus nerve, the way I kind of think of this is basically our interoceptive network, which is kind of the, you know, the other sense that no one talks about is sending the signals through the vagus nerve into the brain to collect information about the outside and about how you're immediately reacting uh, the reaction, I think, happens in the vagus nerve in the brain, the, like the insula and stuff. But at the same time, to keep our motors running, our meat sack motors running, the mm-hmm. vagus nerve is sending that 20% is going into our internals yes. to keep it regulated or adjusted depending on situation. Yeah. And it, so so I always like to think of it as, you know, kind of like the internet. It's our information superhighway. It's, so it's our... Um, Great analogy. Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, it's in charge of keeping homeostasis between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, the two sides of our nervous system. So you've got the sympathetic, which is our mobilized state, right? We're in action, we're moving, we're ready, we're going, which is quite frankly, how most of us spend most of our lives when you have high anxiety, especially folks who not aren't sure they're gonna, you know, hit the floor. So if you think about that, you're always on high alert. And so always looking for the next shoe to drop or your body to drop, right? In our case. Right. And so yeah. always on high alert, the, the amount of energy that that takes up to be always in that, you know, highly mobilized state, um, you know, we're not designed to live there. And so since a lot of us end up living there, what that does is it starts to create impacts on our overall health and on our aging and on, you know, all sorts of um areas of our well-being and so that that parasympathetic then on the other side that's the rest and digest right and it's that you know we need both and there there there's you know there's 
the need to stay in balance. And the vagus nerve is the one that does that. He's like the regulator, like, okay, let's keep, keep things in check here. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's such fascinating, um, such fascinating science that we have now that, you know, back in the, the days where I, I had my initial misdiagnosis or, and, or, you know, it might have been, you know, I saw, a. a a specialist at Stanford, um, oh, about a year ago. And, you know, with that conversation, it was, you know, we'll re- really never know if the episodes during childhood were of epileptic nature versus what they are now being diagnosed as more of a reflex anoxic seizure. Um, and so who knows, right? We just don't know. Right. But I know the the symptoms, right? I know the sensations in my body. And that's what I really teach people now is to become in union. So yoga literally translates to yoke or to unite union. And so by union, I mean, really tapping into and understanding what our body's trying to tell us so that when it whispers, we listen versus having to wait for it to yell at us or (laughs) take us to the floor. Right. And so that, um, that union of that mind body connection, but then also finding that baseline of peace uh, by finding what individually works for us because it's different for everybody. Right. And so, and then that's the, the, you know, it's not just mind body. There's also spirit here. So it's taking those three components and just asking yourself, I mean, I encourage your listeners right now, if, if I was to say, are you a well-being, what would your response be? If your mind is uh, well, right, maybe you're, you're feeling focused, clear, alert, maybe you're not anxious or depressed, but maybe your physical body is deteriorating or maybe you've, you know, incurred some extra weight and as a result of it, your joints are hurting you. So that's, that's not truly well, right? You've got one piece right. here, but the other over here. And, you know, in some cases... And I found myself in all of these dysfunctions, right? I've, I've been really healthy in the body, but really unhealthy in the mind. I've been healthy in the mind, but unhealthy in the body. And then in some cases, we've got the mind and body relatively, you know, running like a well-oiled machine, but we just are missing a sense of something greater or a sense of purpose or a sense of awe. And so it's yeah. really looking at all those three pieces for a complete well-being and figuring out where where do we want to start? Where are we, where are we maybe not um, operating as high as we want to be? And how do we, how do we get there by really tapping into our own unique capacity to heal? Cause everybody has their own unique capacity to heal. Right. Right. Um, and how does this work with conju- in conjunction with your uh, take five stretch and breath breaks? Yeah, so that the take five stretch. This, is, this sounds like the implementation. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Tell us so, um, so take five. Um, the reason I called my business take five was for multiple reasons. One, um, when I was coming out of a, a nervous breakdown um, about a decade ago, after um, a great deal of loss, you know, heavy period of life, and. Um, I I was coming out of that and trying to get back to a space where I could just be functional in the world. And I was looking at some of these holistic methodologies. This is right around the time that I I found the five, the four, seven, eight breath that I mentioned, but 
I couldn't take an hour for myself. I couldn't fathom it. I had been my whole life taking care of others and focusing on others and just kind of trying to outperform, outperchieve, outrun my anxiety. Um, And so in order to start, I had to just start small. So I'd start with just five breaths. I'd start with five minutes. And so that then grew and grew and grew. And so really my goal with Take Five is to meet everybody where they're at. And for a lot of us, depending on where we're at in the journey, uh, five minutes is all we can take. So if we can start there, and incorporate five-minute breaks within our day to just reconnect with ourselves. And by that, I mean to ground, to uh, connect with our breath, and maybe do some gentle stretching. Um, And if we don't have five minutes, then take five slower than normal, deeper than normal breath cycles, and that can um, change everything, really. So Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you do multiple five-minute, like, do you take multiple take fives throughout the day or is that kind of depending on where you are in the stage, you know, like some people can only take one or two. Yeah. I, I, so it's definitely individual. Right. And so what I have is uh, a lot of people that will tell me, you know, I get the reminders to take five, but I still haven't been doing them and I know I need to do it. I know it's going to make me feel better, but I just, you know, sometimes we just, we just find ourselves in a moment where we just don't want to do anything. Right. And, and I just really encourage people to have self-compassion with that. Right. It's okay if you didn't do it today, but, but, but try it again tomorrow. And so you can stack these together. So one of my clients told me recently, well, I actually, you know, didn't do it all week, but then I did five of them in a row. Um, So you can certainly stack them. They're all a little bit different. So we look at a different um, stretching, a different part of the body or, um, you know, doing a little bit different breathing techniques, all designed to be done in your regular day clothes, work clothes at your desk. Maybe you stand up for some if you're able, if not, you know, in a chair. And so the the intention with those is a, um, a doorway in to start learning some of these techniques and to um, start giving you the opportunity to see some of the benefits. And then from there, you can move on to, you know, do a half an hour class or, or do a full hour, um, you know, session or start doing some individualized one-on-one instruction or private coaching, which is what I spend most of my time doing. So nice, nice. As you had mentioned, we all get to a point where we're like, okay, I got, I got a mental fry out going on. I need to step away. And a lot of us, you know, make go out and, and do something just off the cuff, just to stretch and, and take care of that physical side. Mm-hmm. But we're not really regrounding ourselves as we do it. You know, yeah, take a quick walk and everything. But if you're doing that, focus on something like the breeze hitting your body mm-hmm. and really, really pay attention and and, and process that, you know. Um, and or, you know, I, I don't know, you know, make something different for lunch and really enjoy the process of that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's yeah that, that goes back to that presence that you were talking about, right? And so that's right. what I find is with my coaching clients, there's a couple um, main outcomes, regardless of why people are coming to see me, you know, they might be looking for some sort of transformation career-wise or relationship-wise or health-wise, right? Or spiritually. Right. Um, but some of the consistent outcomes, regardless of what the intention is initially, is that they'll find an increase in self-awareness. So just becoming fully aware of how we're feeling in our physical bodies on this planet in this moment. Like, just think about that right now. How are you feeling right now being Micah 
in that room, having this conversation, like sitting on this chair, like just being, being more fully aware. And when we become more fully aware, then we can show up as more fully present. And when we are fully present for whatever the situation be, either, you know, this one-on-one dialogue we're having here, along with the listeners hearing us, or a, let's say, being a mother or being a leader at work or whatever it might be, when you can give those other humans your full presence, that's the best gift we can give anybody, in my opinion. So cultivating that ability to be fully present so that the monkey mind isn't going 100 miles an hour on the to-do list and, oh, did I pick up my kid you know, did I get that for my daughter or the dry cleanings or all the different things that might be going on? When am I going to have another seizure? All those things that are constantly going on in our mind to be able to quiet that so that we can give that other individual with our undivided presence. And then along with that, self-compassion. And so this is something that is not taught and needs to be taught much more, especially with those of us who have had chronic health conditions, right? We can be our own worst critic and just beat ourselves up. And there's so much um, that positive psychology has to offer us today, as well as neuroscience showing, um, you know, the difference that um, we can make with some of these uh, techniques. And so having self-compassion is such a key component because without that, we truly can't be fully compassionate for others. And so those are kind of the three key pieces that I see as outcomes. And from there, if you have those three things in my in my mind, then you're tapping into a new baseline of inner peace. And I use the word baseline intentionally because, you know, life is stressful. We're not going to be there all the time unless we're maybe up in a a mountain somewhere remote. (laughs) Um, For the most part, you know, the stresses aren't going to stop coming our way, but it's our ability to respond to those stresses in a mindful way versus a mindless reaction. And so that's why the presence and the mindfulness trainings are so important because they can help us transform and step into that more consciousness-based approach to life. And it seems to me that the take five and in the breathing techniques, the two, the four, seven, eight, right? The four, seven, eight. Um, these are ways, and this kind of ties into your uh, vagus nerve training. These are ways to actually loosen up the vagus nerve and get the anxiety out of the way so it can actually function and flow the way it's designed. Anxiety, just like other emotions, actually becomes a bioelectrical magnetic thing, a physical thing in your body because the way your interoceptive network pulls in the information Um, That's what's creating that. And those feelings become actual things that move through the vagus nerve into your brain. So it's not just an emotion that somebody can go shake it off. You got to do something to fix it, you know? Yeah, so the the physical manifestations of anxiety are different for everybody, right? And so, you know, for a lot of us, it can become neck and shoulder pain. So if you see how I'm sitting here, I'm kind of rounded shoulders forward, right? Right taking the shoulders back, opening that chest, lengthening the spine, just that alone is going to dissolve some of that tension. And so part of uh, my nervous system dysfunction, there's a neurologist that coined this term coat hanger pain, 
which is uh, basically ischemia, the muscles in the neck and shoulders constantly uh, contracting, trying to get blood up into the brain. And so um, for me, having that, I'm in a constant state of trying to relax my neck and shoulders. And as I started working with other folks that had anxiety, I found, oh my goodness, we're all, we all have this tweezed up, you know, tension, right? Because the amount of time we spend on the keyboard hunched over, right? Or looking at our phone. If I look at my phone, it's typically head tilted to about a 45 degree angle. I mean, when I drop my kids off at high school in the morning, I see, you know, a bunch of zombies walking around looking at their phone like this. And it's, it's not, it's not any fault of theirs, right? This is the culture that they're growing up in, but to create awareness of what that actually does to those small neck muscles taking that weight of about a 10 pound bowling ball and making it about 60 when you're at that 45 degree angle, it's really creating havoc there. So, um, you know, digestive chaos, huge Mm -hmm. symptom of anxiety. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that IBS is just a resulting symptom of anxiety and stress and not its own, you know, separate. Yeah. Right. It's all, it's all connected. And that's what I love about Ayurveda is it looks at, health as a whole. It looks at the mind, body, spirit as the whole system, all inclusive, and that we are more than just this hair, this skin, right? And so if we look at that, it's it's just, you know, we've become this in the Western medicine world, this this specialty. Okay, I'm going to go to this specialist for this special thing. And yeah. it's completely disconnected to this over here. And so the beauty of a lot of these uh, grounding techniques and um, breathing techniques is they are designed to open up that energy flow. And so I'm a firm believer that anxiety needs to physically move up and out it, it, or it will, it will continue to create then more dysfunction within the body and manifest itself as maybe a rageful outburst. Then, I mean, there's so many different symptoms that can be, as we look into the root cause of the sensation the feeling in the body and the emotion that that is holding on to we can uh really crack open with looking at it from that more holistic view from a root cause um perspective and i think um yes the vagus nerve is key in all those because of the huge job that it plays and so there's the ability to retrain that or increase what they would call as vagal tone right increase heart rate variability through the different exercises such as breathing such as grounding there's some um, things that you can do with the eyes there's in fact a a, a video that i have available that I'll, I'll give you a link to that's freely available to your users where we do a little vagal release exercise it's a take five that we do on that so yeah all these techniques are designed to take us from the noise of the external world and come back to our truth, to ourselves, our feet on the ground, feeling supported, remembering that we're whole, all those things. Right, right. It's We are not just a sum of what happens to us and what we do. Those are actual manifestations of how we put ourselves out there. Uh, like we're talking about... Um, vibration and stuff um i mean there's harmonics out there you know you you hit a piano with an a chord and another piano in the same room is going to resonate that a chord and so like you said grounding yourself down getting back in touch with you not just the physical but the 
mental and and mm-hmm. the spiritual and it's whatever you want it to be you know it's it's whatever you call the top of the mountain um is is that's your choice that's your personal path like we were saying every you know different strokes for different folks so for to sure, speak for sure yeah yeah and that that ties in kind of with with the medical side of it too um you know i mean a, a lot of us know that what works for some people is absolutely horrible for other people. And then there's people like me who have a high sensitivity to the side effects on top of my retractable nature. And so your conversation today, uh, it's just inspiring me and it's reaffirming me uh, of some of the things I've been discovering is Mm. that, you know, I got the implant, the RNS implant, and it's countering, physically countering the hippocampal uh, main seizures that I have and recording any others. Um, and so that's all very well and good. And that would be the end of it in, in a lot of people's mind. It's like, okay, there we go. You're better go. And (laughs) I'm blessed to have an epileptologist who's like, take, we're going to take our time in this because it could, you know, it could resurface. Um, but also what I've realized now is that physically taking away the seizures and reducing the drugs. I'm on monotherapy now and in one of the lower doses at the moment. I mean, the drugs still suck, but it's definitely better than yesterday. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's not a cure-all. It's not the, you know, that, that American view of pop the pill and everything's good and just keep going. Um, there's a lot of fallout from this. There's PTSD, there's trauma, there's, um, and then the physical uh, degradation of certain areas of my brain that I have to, my memory is nowhere near like as good as it was. Yeah. The focus difficulties, things like that. Yeah. And if you're not paying attention to all three sides, the trifecta of the human being, uh, then you're just, you're just masking issues yeah. and symptoms without really approaching the root of the matter. So I've this, what I'm saying is that I have begun, uh, recently to really focus on this because I'm not, I refuse to take more drugs to worry about my anxiety, um, or memory issues or anything like that. And going out and getting electronic help, all very well and good, but something like these take five, uh, exercises and Ayurveda, these types of things that focus on the whole and the fact that we're all part of the same cosmic consciousness, we're all part of the same big bang and we're stardust. Like, like Crosby stills and Nash said, right? (laughs) We're stardust. Um, so this is my path. This is the way I'm going to rebuild my life and even bring it to a new, um, chapter, a better chapter. Mm for myself and for the people around me. And the only way I can do that is stop working from fear and relying on the outside scientific world and what the experts say here and there. Let's go to the source. Let's, let's alleviate the anxiety, learn how to manage that, learn how to approach and work through fear. So it doesn't linger in your, in yourself forever. Um, I, I just, you've inspired me because oh. I know it can be done, you but, know? You know, and the, um, yeah, so you've inspired me as well. And I'll just share that, you know, as the universal timing would have it, 
um, you know, when we initially, you know, had a little dialogue, I had not had, I'd been good. I hadn't had an episode where I fully lost consciousness with the exception of that um, test in the hospital with one exception. And it was very short. And I, I, you know, the, um, I, it was barely an instant. Right. And I didn't seize. It wasn't, you know, it was a, a quick one. And so I felt like I had everything under control. Right. But the only thing that's constant in life is change. Right. And yes. so I had, um, Oh, about maybe th- four weeks ago now, I think I'm three or four weeks ago. I was, uh, had had wisdom teeth surgery and I did it without anesthesia because my cardiologist and I thought it'd be better not to do it that way. If I have a long heart pause, it wouldn't be like a freak out and I wasn't conscious. And so I, um, well, I wouldn't be then (laughs) I guess at all if I would have a long pause. But, um, so after I was put on hydrocodone as well as amoxicillin and I'm super sensitive to meds, like, you know, you mentioned, probably from being on and off them for years, the cocktails, right? So I ended up after taking a hydrocodone and an amoxicillin after I got home, finding myself with a very quick onset aura or presyncope, ended up having uh, a really bad episode that um, quite frankly, I'm still recovering from in terms of, so one after lingering effect for me is my ability to articulate using the right words yeah. What my brain is thinking and what my mouth is verbalizing are sometimes two different things. <laughs> and so I had to, you know, look at this from a couple different aspects. One is crap, why did this happen again? I thought I had this under control. Well, the main thing that was different here is that I was not in a sober state. And I, by that I mean I was in an altered state of consciousness as a result of taking hydrocodone. So mm. what that did is it dampered or numbed my ability to feel my body telling me, hey, hey, I'm not feeling too good here. You better start with your breathing exercises to bring the, the heart rate down so that we don't go into bradycardia, right? So it's like I couldn't sense that. So that body awareness, right, to, to hear those signs, I couldn't or it was throttled back because I had taken the hydrocodone hydrocodone. Um, And so it really made me think a lot about that because another piece of the work that I do is teaching people how to mindfully consume, whether it be uh, alcohol, whether it be um, pharmaceuticals or over the counter or, you know, whatever the drug of choice is, whether it be food, um, whether it be social media, whatever the, the, the numbing thing is. Right. So I, went from self-medicating with alcohol for years to meditating. And so as a result of that transformation that I made personally, I now teach people how to mindfully consume because I still love wine, but I can mindfully enjoy it. I can um, go in with intention and I can um, do it in a way where I'm not going to alter my state of consciousness to the point where I won't be able to feel those body sensations. And so What came up for me as you were describing that is the ability of self-compassion I had to have in the last few weeks as I was recovering, as I'd be teaching classes and using the wrong words or calling the client by the wrong name. Um, You know, just stepping into that place of vulnerability and saying, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in this process where I'm recovering from this and I appreciate your grace for me, but I had to have grace for myself. And so I just want to encourage your audience that, um, if there's one thing to take out of today is start with that self-compassion piece. Um, because 
you know, it, it, it's just, you never know when the next thing's going to happen. And so, um, self-compassion and that, that, uh, mind body awareness too, but certainly, um, and I don't know if you'd like, but we could do a quick, um, we could do a quick take five right now. If you want to finish off with that, unless you have other questions you want to kind of go through. You know, we, we really hit on everything that I was, I was <laughs> thinking of. You never know with me. I start to ramble all over the place. So <laughs> That's perfectly. Okay. Perfectly. Okay. I, I know what you mean about, um, self-compassion and that's some, that's something that, boy, I'm just so hard on myself. And it's like, no, you're being hard on yourself because you just said that. And this is what I'm learning is stop saying it because your, your mind is going to listen to you and, and you got to envision it because, uh, I love this saying from a guy named Jim Fortin. Your body doesn't speak English. Your brain doesn't speak English. It doesn't speak German. It doesn't. It speaks feelings. Feelings, yep. And intentions. And so you have to put yourself into that place. And you might be lying to yourself at first. <laughs> you know, I love myself. I, I give myself permission. Um, but if you continue to do that, you will start to feel it. And, and visualize while you're doing it too. Give yourself like your ideal, you know, situation. And um, over time it will work. And I think with the take five, it, it would really help a, a tool to, to tap into that, yeah. you know? Let's do a take five. Okay, sounds good. So let's start by just so assuming that you're seated. If you're not um, seated, you can do it standing too. And if you happen to be um, driving, um, you know, keep your eyes open. <laughs> but if you're, um, if you are in a space where you feel comfortable closing your eyes, then close your eyes. And if you're not, then just yawn. So take a <sighs> together. <sighs> so what that does is it actually stimulates the vagus nerve. It actually is a natural relaxant, our yawn. So don't ever uh, hesitate to yawn. If you get the urge, allow it. So it also helps us just soften the eyes to a little bit more of a restful gaze. And so I just want you to now bring your awareness to whatever part of your body is touching the floor. So maybe it's your feet. Even if you're driving in a car, your feet are on the floorboard there and the wheels are making contact with the pavement. And underneath whatever flooring we're on, there's a foundation underneath that. And underneath that, there's soil, the topsoil. And if you can imagine just the cool nature of that moist topsoil. And then maybe visualize the deeper, more denser soil underneath that. And if we could just allow ourselves to just visualize the bedrock of the earth. And just for now, just for this moment, let's just allow that bedrock to anchor us into this present moment. Just allow Earth's energy to come from that bedrock all the way up through the different layers of soil all the way up until it reaches your feet. Just for a moment, allowing that safety, that security, that stability, and that structure that the earth has to offer us just to radiate up through the feet, up to the knees, up to the hips. And just notice that space in between the hips as you're seating, as you're seated. 
And just look to see if you can get a little length in the low spine. So from about that space in between the hips to maybe around the belly button, just lengthening in that low back area. And then from the belly button up to the center of the chest. And then creating some length from the center of the chest to the crown of the head. So just allow that cervical spine, that neck to get a little bit longer, reaching up through the crown of the head. So it's as if the top of your head is just gently being lifted up. And as you do that, notice if your shoulders then are just naturally coming a little bit more gently onto the back. And I want you to just notice, are you carrying weight there on those shoulders, the weight of responsibilities, the weight of to-dos, the weight of anxieties and fears? Let's just let them go for now. We're just going to energetically inhale as we take our shoulders up towards the ears. And as you exhale, just release some of that weight you're carrying. Again, let's inhale, drawing the shoulders up towards the ears if you can. And as you exhale, just releasing worry in this moment. Again, inhale, taking the shoulders up. And as you exhale, just releasing doubt. And let's just do one more because it feels so good. Take those shoulders up with an inhale. And as you exhale, release the shoulders back down, just releasing fear. And now just allow your awareness to settle on to the center of the heart, the center of the chest. And just noticing maybe the rise and fall of the chest, if you can sense it, or the belly as you breathe. And rather than trying to control the breath in this moment, just allow it to control you. So it's as if you were being breathed. If every cell in your body was being breathed. Maybe there's a part of your body, part of your heart, part of your mind, part of your spirit that needs a little bit more breath in this moment. Just give it permission, allow it to receive the breath. And just allowing the spaciousness to start to open in each of the cells, in each area of the body that needs a little bit more. And just resting here for another moment, just being breathed in this present moment, nothing to do, nothing to achieve, nothing to perform or perfect, just you, just this moment, just your breath, you being breathed. And just resting here resting in your wholeness. Resting in your enoughness. Just resting in your truth. And 
and just noticing how you feel in this moment. And remembering you can always come back to this feeling. You can always remember the ground underneath your feet, the energy that the earth has to offer you and your wholeness. And when you're ready, you can slowly open your eyes. <laughs> ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel my shoulders feel like two inches lower on my body. <laughs> like that's a good thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I really liked that part of um, working your way up <clears throat> from the, from the, basically the coccyx all the way up mm -hmm. to the upper neck. It just doing it step by step really just, it was like, yes. I, rather than trying to rush into it. Um, yeah, a lot of times they great. stand up straight, but but if we kind of slowly enter into it, it can help us. So yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to share that with you and your listeners. <laughs> I, I appreciate you sharing that with me as well. That was fantastic. I feel better. I, oh. I do. And of course, the Capricorn in me is like, ah, I'm grounded. Bedrock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Thank you so much, Maria. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Definitely, definitely. And uh, if if you would like, I would love to have you back. Sure, um, yeah. Maybe we can look at uh, focusing on maybe uh, a specific topic and sharing something with your listeners that could really help them either step into presence or self-compassion or uh, yeah. self-awareness. Sounds great. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm going to process what we discussed today and what I've learned and, and taken away by it. And I'm sure I'm going to come up with some kind of flash, like light bulb moment. And uh, <laughs> you'll be hearing from me on that for sure. So sounds good. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in uh, learning more about Maria and her uh, techniques and her classes and her courses, uh, check her out at take5.health. Mm -hmm. That's take the number five health so that is the uh, that is the place to go to to uh, find out more and maybe even book some sessions with her this was really really good I I feel great I'm gonna have a great day um, <laughs> yeah. I'll make sure to um, yeah yeah I'll make sure to put um, I was just gonna say you're if if you hit my website, if you say subscribe, there's a couple different subscribe buttons. Um, what you'll get is you'll get a free take five, like the one we just did in your inbox. And then um, every week on Wednesday, I put out a well-being Wednesday newsletter that just shares, you know, a tip for the week and kind of, um, and a featured take five break. So nice. Yeah. Nice. I like that. I'll be subscribing for sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Maria Mays. Uh, well-being coach and teacher, founder of Take 5, and uh, she's got her signature Take 5 stretch and breath breaks, which we just did, as well as a wine and well-being workshop that you definitely want to check out as more. As, as, if you're anybody out there that's got like attachment issues, whether, again, whether it's substances, uh, food, um, exercise, work, you know, um, if you feel like something in your life is affecting how you interact with everything else it might be something to look into as well i think both of these would work great for you so all right maria you take care i'll make sure to put some contact information and a quick biography and everything in the description so people can can really follow along better and and check out some of your your stuff and uh you have a beautiful week thank, thank you. you so much for you your time too.
Likewise. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right take you care. take care. Folks out there, take care. Drive fast, take chances. You know the routine. Unexpect the expected. Mm-hmm. And remember, it's all in your head. <laughs> See ya. Be good to yourselves. And you too, Maria. You too, <laughs> All right. This is to my sick kids. Time to flip this shit. Depakote, Adderall, Ritalin, Pixie Sticks. I don't give a fuck what you're riding to the setting sun. Use it as a weapon when it's said and done. It's all too much. Caesar Salad Fuster Cluck Epilepticus is produced and hosted by Michael Ball. Original logo and graphic designed by Alba Lopez. The song Seizure Boy, courtesy of Watsky, and used with permission. Find more great music and poetry on his website, georgewatsky.com. Follow our podcast. Like our Facebook page. Whatever blows your hair back, just keep listening. And join us again soon for another episode of Seizure Salad. Until then, remember to unexpect the expected. It's all in your head. Take a minute to sit the whip and then I'm gonna mash on gas. Cause I'll be crushing that impasse with that ass syntax. Skinny motherfucker off a bucket of slim fast.